Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome down to the helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm Chad Parsons. She is Katie Flower, and we are up to 2020 looking back at our rookie rookie class retrospective here because uh, we are only two data points in. It's very fresh in our minds. You're going to basically recognize every name we talk about, even if you're relatively new to Dynasty. These are some cornerstone players. It's also a bunch of players that we have questions about. Incomplete profiles through two seasons. Still time to go. They are still firmly in their respective breakout windows. So I have the historical UTH big board. Uh, I didn't have that in 2019 and, and farther back. And Katie, as we've been going these weeks, it's interesting because we remember more and more vividly rookie draft time and also evaluating these prospects because 2013 is a, a long time, a lot of mileage in the wayback machine. But here we are. And again, these are core elements of a lot of our teams. It could also be players that we remember having, you know, this guy or this guy decisions in our rookie drafts. Oh yeah. And this was a, a great class. We knew it was going to be, we were excited and looking forward to it. There were the big five running backs and uh, then there was some really good later round guys. So let's just dive right into the running backs. Uh, plus it was also, sorry, before we dive right into the running backs, it was a great class for super flex and running backs. And as we've mentioned, the two positions that make a draft class exceptional are strength at running back and strength at quarterback. And we had that in spades. We had one first round pick, which he ended up being moved up the board a lot higher than he should have been in rookie drafts. And that was Clyde Edwards, Alaire to Kansas city. And it was because he was Patrick Mahomes hand selected guy. Everybody moved him up. Situation was great, but Deandre Swift in round two, early round two to Detroit, Jonathan Taylor in early round two to Indianapolis cam Akers in mid round two, uh, still in the top 100 to the Rams, JK Dobbins, mid-round two to Baltimore, A.J. Dillon. A lot of people faded him because he had a landing spot in Green Bay behind Aaron Jones, so how could he possibly do anything and uh, ended up being a steal in rookie drafts. Then we had a handful of third-rounders, and I'm not going to go through all of the running backs, but I do want to mention Antonio Gibson in round three was an interesting guy for UTH. Keyshawn Vaughn in round three and Zach Moss had a lot of buzz in rookie drafts because he went to Buffalo and everybody liked his college profile, or at least a lot of our uh, people in leagues that we were with. And Darrington Evans rounded out the third round to Tennessee. I mean, that's a lot of lumber, right? I mean, yeah. some of these, I, I, 2016 is one that always stands out to me where we didn't have a lot in the first three rounds this year. We may not have a lot in the first three rounds. And, and we, we talk about 2020 and we've talked about it a few times and, and running back, as you said, can make or break a class. You add some, some, you know, we, I think there were, there were three high profile quarterbacks in this class as well. So you had a lot of potential, um, high pedigree with the positions that can matter in those respective formats going, you know, in the first 10 to 15 picks of the draft. So I think that is, that is one of the first things and looking at draft class strength, again, just the sheer volume and no, we didn't have a Zeke. We didn't have someone go in the top five to 10 of course. I mean, one of the talking points was these with Swift, Taylor, Akers, Dobbins, these are first round profiles. That was the thing I kept saying. And I was like, I can't believe, especially as the draft was going on and you got to 32. And at that point, you know, that one running back max, and it was ever Hilaire that, that is going to go in the first round. So for running back, this really was um, one of the stronger classes. It was stronger than 2018. It was stronger than 2017 and 2015 that we've covered in this series. And in this whole series, strongest class in terms of that draft class strength. So even though we didn't start till 32 overall, 
the pedigree of those guys in the early and, uh, you know, going through round two, having a good profile like Antonio Gibson out in the early third round, NFL valued this class, just not necessarily in the top 20 or 25. Um, of the board. And, and looking back at my big board, again, one of the big calls, um, there were a few to, to make, but one of them was it was relatively split between Edward Zolaire and Jonathan Taylor at 101 and 102. And one of my bold calls was just all these other four guys other than Edward Zolaire. Now, Edward Zolaire came out, he had a great week one and you know all the truthers and all of the uh, vitriol that happens on Twitter on an hourly basis during the season or sometimes preseason, sometimes during the training camp cycle. But man, Edward Solaire was declared an early victory lapping winner. And now we've seen what has happened, right? And not one game or one season or one half season does a career make. And Taylor ended up so far being the right call running back one this past year, you know, elevating as the season progressed. But let's remember early year one, it was guy can't find a hole. Where is he going? Uh, you know, he's in some big committee and God, when it, when it, it's not going to happen for him. And yet a lot of times those day two guys, it takes till mid mid year one, or you're looking for some big flashes, maybe a pinnacle game to close their rookie season. And then it's year two. You typically see that bigger step forward. So Edwards Hilaire, I mean, Ronald Jones added, uh, Daryl Williams was taking significant touches from him. So that hand selection by Mahomes has not looked great. And let's go back again. Uh, it was a close to 50, 50 in my memory, Katie, I don't know about you, but no, it was. Edwards Hilaire versus Taylor at one Oh one. So let's not assume just because in our UTH bubble, we were not going to be drafting Edwards Hilaire at one Oh one that that doesn't mean it doesn't happen quite a lot in the, the community at large. Yeah. And even in Superflex, there was a case to be made to take at least one of the running backs over the top quarterback, whoever you perceive yeah. that to be. But uh, I, I knew had a lot of strong feelings that those top four were way better than Clyde Ed, Edwards Alaire. The funny thing is the way the ADP ended up working out as a rookie Edwards Alaire and Jonathan Taylor were, as you mentioned, about 50% of the time, the 101. They were averaging 14 and 16 in a startup. So Edwards Alaire, early second, Jonathan Taylor, early to mid second in a, in a startup draft that's non super flex. But then you look at the very next year, Clyde Edwards Alaire dropped to 23 overall ADP, Jonathan Taylor, two and a half. He was, you know, top three in most startup drafts in year two. And even J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers, who had rough starts because of injury, they were somewhere around the 103 to 105, 106 range in rookie drafts, depending on whether you like Akers over Dobbins or Dobbins over Akers or Swift over those guys. But the very next year, even with injuries, Cam Akers was nine overall ADP. He was 31 in his draft year. And then J.K. Dobbins was right around ADP of 14. He was 24 in his draft year. DeAndre Swift was another big name. He was anywhere again in that same 103 to 105, 106 range, depending on if a quarterback or wide receiver went in between. But Swift, his ADP during his rookie draft year was right around 33, 34 but he escalated to eight right around the same as Cam Akers. Everybody moved up except Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Again, this was an elite class. These prospects, Swift, Taylor, Akers, Dobbins, these are giant names for Debbie. And I just want to remind folks that this was, so this was expected to be one of those classes as they were coming up. And the two guys that really haven't done, let's say actually, you know, tangibly on the field, a, a ton compared to the others, especially is Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins. And both of them, essentially, let's throw out the Akers playing at the very end of the year. They both missed year two, a pivotal season for them to step up and go beyond the flashes they showed in year one. So this class very may, may very well have had six hits out of the first seven. And the seventh guy was A.J. AJ Dillon. So a guy that, again, has shown flashes, has had a few startable games, and he is with a top five, top six NFL back in terms of 
Green Bay brought him back and um, Aaron Jones being uh, highly productive back in his own right before Dylan even arrived. So this very well could have been seven hits to start you know, with their profiles that they were a lot of top 5%, top 2% projection model scores. So I I just, I want to reiterate that, that injuries have been really the only thing to affect this class in a negative way. And Edward Solaire, again, came out of the guns, came out of the gates with high production, and now it's kind of fading and eroding. He's really an interesting test case for quote unquote round one running backs. And we talked about that, I think on the live draft show where 32 overall, he technically qualifies, but only three picks ahead of Swift, only nine ahead of Taylor. I mean, this was a compacted class from late first to to late second. Um, And, and I just one point to, to move to sort of other running backs is Antonio Gibson really was the David Johnson, you know, the UTH declared David Johnson type in this class. He was going in Superflex late second, sometimes in the third. And obviously, you know, I was and recommending that he was going higher than that, you know, make sure you get him. And he really, one thing that kind of worries me a little bit is he hasn't quite gotten that full workhorse volume. I would remind folks at Memphis, he was not a foundational back. Heck, he was a hybrid type player. I don't even, I think he, the, the, the tagline was 77 or something in the seventies career carries in college. So he's getting in the, the one fifty ish range uh, per season in the NFL. But I do think it's an interesting question to say, will he ever get to 250, 300 touches in a season? He's, I'd have to go back to high school and he may have never done that. So, and JK, uh, JD McKissick, excuse me, coming back. So I think Gibson has been a rousing win by any measure, but I do wonder if you're holding out saying that a big, you know, top five kind of career season is coming from him in the next season or two, I would just say, I'm not sure of that. I don't disagree. And I was always chomping at the bit in that mid second. When do I pull the trigger? When do I get him? I got to secure him, but I got a lot of shares of Antonio Gibson mid second to late second, and sometimes even mid third. Um, I got him late second in a 14 team league and was just amazed him. His ADP in his rookie season was about 122 and he vaulted up to 20 range of ADP in a startup draft just after that, that first season that he had. So you definitely won if you got him. And he's the kind of player, I think, that even if he doesn't have a top five, he has top five weeks. He's got the capability and the upside that in any given week, he can score top five running back points. Yeah. And Keyshawn Vaughn was was one of those key players that got day two pedigree. I think we saw despite the top guys all having great profiles, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, to some degree, Zach Moss, and then Darrington Evans, especially that grouping that faded to the end. That was really the, is, is one of them going to emerge? Keyshawn Vaughn was going pretty early in draft. So, so he was one, you definitely had to step up. And when you look at the arbitrage, I think that's a, that's an apt way to look at, you know, just different sections of an NFL draft uh, class that Keyshawn Vaughn was going around round and a half, uh, maybe even two rounds, depending on the format over Darrington Evans. And, you know, Zach Moss was later than him, but not egregiously. So, so I always look at that now Vaughn hasn't worked out. Is he going to work out and even be the number two back in year three here, but he's fallen by the wayside. Uh, in Tampa Bay. Now, what if they didn't get Fournette? And there's there's a lot of things that go into that. But the point is they were looking and they didn't consider day two Keyshawn Vaughn the answer with Tom Brady or any of that capacity. Darrington Evans has bounced around already. Zach Moss has gone up a little bit and then kind of faded uh, behind Singletary. It sounds like Buffalo is interested again. So he's not really on that success track either. And that kind of shows you um, and historically speaking, there is a difference between round two and round three running backs. And this this draft class is the perfect example where those date, those round two guys, a lot of big dense hits. And even the ones that haven't look like they are on the path to a potential breakout. And then round three outside of Gibson going in the first couple picks of the round, not so much a bunch of uh, marginal guys in retrospect. Yeah. And then the other value in this draft, there were a couple of others, AJ Dillon, as you mentioned, he was behind Aaron Jones. So Uh, A lot of people overlooked him and we got him as a deal 
mid-second. And again, in that same Antonio Gibson range, maybe a little bit earlier, but you had a decision to make between Brian Edwards, Chase Claypool, or A.J. Dillon in that same range, or Anthony McFarland. And so I got a lot of shares of Dillon and I kept buying, buy, buy, buy. If you look at his ADP in his rookie season, it was right around 116. He only moved to 95 the next year. And I think his ADP is still well lagging behind Alexander a lot Madison. of these other guys. He's Alexander Madison, right? He goes to a yeah. quote unquote block situation. So does he get unblocked and what happens with him? But as at worst, we know that guys like that can be James Conner like, and if they get the right injury at the right time or a suspension or a holdout, or they can become lightning in a bottle. And Dylan has been on ice through two years, even though you've maybe started him a smattering of times. And he has proven that he can handle the full load if he needs to. And so if there's an injury, he's the kind of running back that could win you your league in any given stretch. And, you, and, and, then we, and we kind of hope, and we kind of hope that there's 2025 20, guys behind incumbent starters around the NFL, but frankly, there aren't. Yeah. I mean, the other one I wanted to mention who was not even on anybody's rookie radar. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. James Robinson. This was the year undrafted free agent, James Robinson. He became big right around week one, week two, where he was a waiver wire darling. And I remember uh, a lot of people were skeptical whether he would be able to keep it up. I felt very strongly about this guy. Well, it's also when Even, Fournette got cut. Uh, you know, that was the, I think the August that Fournette got cut. And I still don't think at that point in time, Robinson was presumed to be the starter. In retrospect, it was like, oh, we were high on Robinson. That was maybe part of the decision. But they bailed on Fournette, which was uh, a pretty big surprise at the time. I was trying, do you remember who Robinson, like who else was on that depth chart? at the time when Fournette was cut? No. Yeah. Was it, it couldn't have been Carlos Hyde still. I think I can't remember if Hyde was injured anyway. So it like you, like you were saying though, he came out of relative nowhere. I mean, I, I looked at some of my leagues, some people took a shot on him in like the late fourth round with like one of their last picks, but still there was a pretty even split between those that didn't even make it to August to benefit. They had already cut him. Uh, yeah. In those two, three months of lag time between the, you know, because late force are basically priority free agents. Exactly. But yeah, Robinson. Uh, and again, they, what happens with him? They draft uh, Travis Etienne, you know, in year two and he gets hurt and you get another year. I remember Robinson, the, the, the plan of do, what, you know, you could trade him for a mid first during that rookie season. And then that looked like maybe a genius move when they tra draft Travis Etienne the following offseason, then Etienne goes down. It's been a roller coaster ride because Robinson, we got some more utility, but then he started to wane a little bit. And uh, we will see because now he has his own injury. Etienne's coming back uh, with, a, with an injury as well. So a lot of ambiguity on how year three goes for Robinson. But talk about a massive, a massive hit, almost Elijah Mitchell-like of just a lot of people just not drafting him or, or looking out for him. And yet a year one, pretty substantial hit. Yeah. And then this wide receiver class is no real slouch either. We ended up with several first round NFL picks. Henry Ruggs went 12th overall to the Las Vegas Raiders. Then Jerry Judy to the Denver Broncos, 15th overall. CeeDee Lamb, 17th overall to Dallas. Dallas was not in the market for a wide receiver. They took best player available where they were not going to let him slide any further. Jalen Rager at 21st overall to Philadelphia, Justin Jefferson, 22nd overall to Minnesota, and Brandon Ayuk, 25th overall to San Francisco. Then we had another bunch of really good second round picks, guys like T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVishka Chenault, K.J. Hamler, Chase Claypool, Van Jefferson, and Denzel Mims. And still in the top 100 in round three, we had Lynn Bowden Jr., Brian Edwards, and Devin DuVernay all within the top 100 and several of them have had pretty good uh, couple of seasons. Others have been off to a slow start. My question to you, Chad, is which of the slow start guys do you still believe in? Yeah. Uh, and just to say historically, I mean, 13 wide receivers in the top 60. Unreal. I mean, this was literally the easiest live draft shows we, we've probably ever done just because of all those running backs going in in round two 
And then you have all these wide receivers filling up in the top 60 in those first couple rounds. This was the strongest draft class, by the way, going back to 2007 at the wide receiver position, combining pedigree and uh, projection model profiles. So yeah, like you mentioned, we've had some slow starts. Uh, I would consider Jerry Judy a slow start in comparison to the rest of the the draft class here at the top, Jalen Reger certainly qualifies. Chenault, uh, Lavishka Chenault, KJ Hamler, um, you know Van Jefferson slow start. Denzel Mims certainly a slow start. Um, if I'm allowed to, I would say in terms of a rebound or a there might be a massive season here. I think Chase yeah, Claypool. Don't quali- give up on me. Yeah, yeah. Don't give up on Chase Claypool. I know he took a step back. I know that they have a quarterback question mark with Trubisky. Are they going to draft somebody? Uh, it's not like Ben Roethlisberger for a, especially at least one year, maybe both of the years, not doing him any favors. Uh, you know, Deontay Johnson fitting more of that five-yard crosser. You know, and everything being short. Uh, route tree that Ben Roethlisberger was uh, succeeding, at, you know, at the moments he was. Um, so, I would say this: like Jalen Reger has to me, and this was a guy that I loved coming out. He has the stink of not probably turning it around. Um, he he really bothers me. the The year one and then dropping down year two is a little alarming. I will say that. LaVisca Chenault before Jacksonville signed everyone under the sun. I, and I, I like the signings they've done. Yes. Christian Kirk, got paid a truckload, but I just, he's a quality player. Marvin Jones is a quality player. And that, that would bother me from the Chenault angle, even though I like Jacksonville to bounce back and there could be big value here, but they also signed Evan Ingram. So I like all the additions Jacksonville did. And if they had signed other guys, uh, or potential, you know, free agent busts, in my opinion, then I think I would be more on Chenault, but I don't know if the situation is turning his direction because he was an incumbent and the team basically said, we've got to address the passing game. And they pr- pretty much, uh, you know, emptied the holster for a lot of those moves, even, you know, Ingram being a one-year variety. So uh, I-, I think the easy answers are Chase Claypool, uh, Brendan Ayuk took a step back, but I, I think it was easy to see year one. Um, but Rager, I don't hold a lot of hope for. And I do think Jerry Judy's overcooked. Like that's one of my bigger things is look at Tim Patrick, look at Cortland Sutton, especially. Um, I, I don't know if Jerry Judy to the moon is the right Denver passing game play with, uh, with, with Russell Wilson in town. Okay. Uh, fair enough. What about Brian Edwards and his with Devonte Adams? there taking a little bit of heat off. Do you Just think tough. he can emerge? It's just tough. I mean, yeah. the fact that you have Waller and the fact that Hunter Renfro, even if he doesn't finish, you know, at wide receiver 15 or whatever he did last year, I just think Brian Edwards might be one of those players that it's a real hard bridge to, to track. Like I, him being a success, I mean, I don't know if it really happens with Devontae Adams there. Like that is just tough. Like, like would a success be wide receiver 60 for him? Like that's tough. I mean, that's tough to hold that fantasy wise and on your dynasty roster. So I like the player. I think he's shown flashes and he's that, that classic question of a big supersized guy. And I do think he moves well enough. So I like the profile. I just, it's so tough to hold roster spots like that as your wide receiver or six, seven, eight or whatever Edwards would be. That's, that's my biggest thing is I just, unfortunately, I think he's going to pass some dynasty hands around uh, with his roster uh, roster spot. And maybe he breaks out in a couple of years or something like that. But those other three guys, I guarantee are going to be higher on the pecking order. He's not passing any of them. And one of the guys that I see a lot of people fading now because of Jamar Chase is T Higgins. What do you think with Joe Burrow, a healthy Joe Burrow on that Cincinnati offense? Do you think that there's enough for both of those guys to eat? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the easy offenses, the easy passing games to say, we see one or two every year, two top 12 wide receivers and at least two top 18 guys. And this is the offense tight end. We'll see Hayden Hurst. Eh. Like I think we've seen he's got mid tight end two probably at best. And then Tyler Boyd, clearly a guy left out. And so the, that Higgins and chase spread for me is too big. Uh, Higgins should not be as far away as he is. He's a legit guy. He's got two quality years, including one much stronger year in 2021 under his belt. So yeah, I think Higgins, it's probably the underrated guy. Burrow's a little overcooked, in my opinion. And then Jamar Chase being 
over Justin Jefferson of the, you know, uh, I, I think is a mistake in dynasty. Um, so, so Jefferson, again, we haven't mentioned him, but I mean, <laughs> dynasty wide receiver one <laughs> right now, yeah. at least in my heart, uh, is, is in this class and a guy that that's done it without him feeling there. And, and, and Kirk cousins, a lot of people want to bang on him, but Justin Jefferson, uh, coming out of this class two year, only two years in, but it just seems like it's been longer because he's been there every single week for, for 24 plus months now. And that's the thing about this, this rookie draft, because it was so top heavy with running back. And if you were in a super flex, you could get guys like Justin Jefferson, late round one, early round two. Uh, CD lamb was typically the first guy off the board, right around the mid first Jerry Judy, right behind him. Sometimes they were flip flop Jalen Rager a lot of times was underrated and would fall. Henry Ruggs moved up. So anywhere between eight to 14 in that range, Jeff, Justin Jefferson was a screaming value. I remember he was somebody that UTH liked quite a bit, but there were guys like T Higgins. So if you couldn't get Justin Jefferson, getting T Higgins was a good consolation prize. Yeah. Uh, getting Brandon Ayuk, I know he was a target, but he was more of a, mid to mid second, sometimes early second, depending on the time of year of when your draft was. And the thing, yeah, the there, thing I want to just... ask, the thing I want to ask you, Katie, is what I'm, what I'm looking at here is the guys that have actually maintained their value and, or, or raised their value were the guys that had now again, T Higgins, we did not know how Joe Burrow was going to work out. He was in this class, but the two guys were uh, CD lamb and Justin Jefferson and you could look at those top five, six wide receivers and say he they had the most stable quarterback situations. If you wanted to throw, we haven't mentioned Henry Ruggs, um, but Henry Ruggs had um, Derek Carr. So you could put him, I know Carr and Cousins are kind of synonymous there, but that's one factor. Jalen Reger, it's, you know, even if you liked that was still Carson Wentz when he was drafted, Jerry Judy with, with Denver's situation, and then uh, you know Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers situation, those were a little more uneven situations to project ahead. And I just kind of wonder, kind of looking back, weren't really on CD Lamb per se, and we weren't really on Justin Jefferson. In terms of like being, I was around ADP with them, but I wasn't ahead enough to say, oh yeah, you're drafting that guy. And I just kind of wonder with all of them having good a good uh, pedigree. Should, you know, when you're looking within tier buckets, look for stability in quarterback just a little bit more. I know we've talked about that once or twice during this series. Yes, that would absolutely be a good tiebreaker. Um, I remember many times having the conversation, C.D. Lamb or Cam Aker, C.D. Lamb or J.K. Dobbins. That like first, yeah. Yeah, that mid first, like, do you go with who could be the wide receiver one off the board or do you go with a running back that, in any other given year would have been the RB one off the board uh, because there was so much depth of talent. And, and again, I don't know that you could have lost unless you went with uh, Clyde Edwards, Alaire over CD lamb or some subset of that. And I know there were many times where I would take Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, for example, like, well, that's what I mean. Like, should we have been mixing it up a little more? I was very heavy. I could look at my, uh, you know, who I actually drafted in my leagues, but I was very heavy on uh, Jalen Reger. And yeah, looking here, I mean, yeah, I drafted Jer- and I drafted Jerry Judy ahead of um, Jefferson, who I did get a few shares, um, but I did not, you know, there was not probably a big enough split with saying these are all good quality round one pedigree wide receivers in that mid first to early second, you know, and just being a little more agnostic of like, if you're sitting at 110, instead of trying to trade up to seven or eight, you know, to take Reger or Judy, how about you just stick and pick, you know, Justin Jefferson, how about you stick? And if the best case was Brandon Ayuk, or, you know, you're, you're at 112 or 201, you just draft T Higgins, like just being a little more open to situations and arbitrage like that. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, uh, we did get Darnell Mooney out of this class in, uh, in, in day three, we didn't mention, uh, Michael Pittman, uh, as, as one of the, the hits that, I mean, he is getting Matt Ryan. Uh, he took a big step up in year two. 
the level of competition for targets has been pretty minimal. So I think Pittman and to a lesser degree, Mooney are guys that maybe don't have quite the pedigree of the other guys and what they've done for two years uh, coming out of college either. They're ones that you definitely have to take a, a state of the union litmus test on how you feel because they certainly have an elevated value from initial. Yeah. And then you've even got some depth plays like KJ Hamler has looked fairly good. Van Jefferson in some spot starts, although he was a much older rookie than most anybody out there, but he's had his moments where he's looked pretty good. And I don't know about the Baltimore wide receivers, guys like Devin Duvernay, who I liked a lot better in college. I wish he had the opportunity. I don't know if he will, but I don't know if it's too soon to give up on him either. It just depends on the depth of your dynasty league and what else that you have going on. What do you think about Donovan Peoples Jones? Um, I I think that's, yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, he, he's going to have a new quarterback throwing to him. It's just a question of when. <laughs> so I don't know if that's enough to bring him out. He, he really wasn't that productive at Michigan. He was a very talented five-star athlete, but he, I don't know that he's shown enough. Right. He's, he's yeah. going to get the sleeper and the upside love. And I think the interesting thing between Peoples-Jones and Gabriel Davis is – is that we will know what, what those teams think of them based on how they handle the remaining free agents that are out there. Is there a trade to be made uh, maybe for a wide receiver or do they draft someone with a notable pedigree coming in? in and again, another projected deep class in the first 75, hundred picks. And that would have more pedigree than either one of those guys. So Gabriel Davis, I, you know, he's getting the love yet again. He had that big playoff game. People's Jones right now, you would say is the number two uh, receiver there in Cleveland. But if the team goes over the top of them with allegiance to someone else, like we saw with Emmanuel Sanders coming in with Buffalo and uh, in Cleveland, if they bring back, say, Jarvis Landry or one of these other free agents, draft someone in the first couple rounds, these are situations to monitor because, again, th- this whole period is a ticking time bomb for guys like this. Day three pedigree, they've shown a little something. But I just want to remind folks, because we're talking about this class, that this is a risky profile. Day three wide receivers that have shown something, but not enough through one, two, three years, and people are still buying in at prices of like, oh, I can't use them to trade up or I can't add them to a trade and get something better. Like they're, I need to hold on to this upside profile. When there's a lot of upside profiles that exist and there's some some bad tales, you know, that, that don't, many bad tales that don't work out. So the assumption that Gabriel Davis will be some breakout top 24 guy this coming year, or Peoples Jones will be top 36 or something like that, be careful because if one league mate thinks that way, you should probably be exploring selling as opposed to vice gripping that they're going to be your answer and upside lock at wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this wide receiver class before we move on? No, I just remember Marquez Callaway, you know, being such yeah. a big thing. Uh, he, it was the preseason darling syndrome, right? That he was going to be um, a big factor. And um, was that actually, was that the rookie year or was it this past year? where Callaway uh, made a couple of big plays. It might've been this past year. With, I think it was uh, this past with, year. With Jameis Winston. Yeah. So yes. anyway, he was a part of that and he just came rising up like a Phoenix. I remember I, I had a couple of random shares and I sold them all. Um, and he ended up being not overly productive. We'll see if Michael Thomas comes back, but just again, a lot of times that flash and dash at the very beginning, that time value of kind of waiting for it to possibly stick the James, It's much easier at say, running back. Uh, maybe you see a flash from a quarterback that wasn't quite, you know, one one but you kind of see it. Maybe that was Justin Herbert. Like those things can stick a little more at wide receiver. I don't know about you, Katie. I'm super skeptical of these little like flashes of a guy that sees five targets in a preseason game or a random game with the starter out at wide receiver, you know, in a, in a regular season game, it's a lot harder to become a stable hundred plus target wide receiver one or two for your team year over year type of guy in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, This tight end class, man, it was bad. Uh, We didn't have a tight end go off the board in the NFL until mid round two. And that was Cole Komet to Chicago. Devin Asiasi, third round. Josiah Tequara, third round. Dalton Keene, third round. Adam Troutman. I know I remember you liked Troutman a lot of all these guys. Yeah. And we had Albert O. Aquabunum in uh, round four, Harrison Bryant round four, Colby Parkinson. But 
of all these tight ends, and we don't need to spend a lot of time with this position because it usually takes three solid years, sometimes four years before they even start to feel like their NFL game speed. But if you had to pick one guy Mm -hmm. from this class that three years from now will be a fantasy asset and being a a decent contributor to his team, who are you going to put your, uh, your penny on? I've got to go with Albert O because he was the most impressive profile in college. I did not understand how he faded as far as he did. And what I love is Denver, even with Noah Fant on the team said, he's our guy. He is valuable. Why is he here? And we'll figure it out. And guess what? Noah Fant being traded to Seattle. And I'm sure Seattle views that as a, a very uh, valuable chip in that trade to get Russell Wilson part of it. And yes, Titans replaceable, but part of it is Albert O has played and played reasonably well and projecting him as a potential or expected NFL starter makes that trade and dealing Noah Fant a whole heck of a lot easier. So Albert O being buried in this class behind a bunch of guys that I was like, I, I don't understand how they're going. I like Dalton Keene, but I mean, the fact that he went over Albert O was very surprising to me. And all the, I, I mean, looking back on my Superflex big board, I didn't have even uh, Cole Komet. I had no tight ends in until like 30 overall. And Cole Komet was the only guy to go in the top 90. So like you said, it doesn't require a lot of attention. Yes, they were drafted somewhere, you know, in the third, fourth round, a lot of these guys in two, two tight end leagues. But Cole Komet, my big question was about him coming out and is still my question, which is, is he actually going to be a dynamic guy? I just, I see him as closer to just a guy, a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he averages nine, 10, 11 yards per reception. He's a chain mover at best, and he needs to get touchdowns in volume to really be impactful. And I haven't seen enough signs of that. He's connected to a quarterback that's very risky in uh, Justin Fields right now. So even the guy that was drafted clearly the highest of the class, I think should not be considered the favorite when you have guys like Albert O, Harrison Bryant is hopefully moving up the chain at least one spot with no Austin Hooper this year. Um, Josiah Guaro is going to probably get a little more opportunity, but uh, this has been a big disappointing class, but it's interesting that it's two years in and it's such a slow moving position. Frankly, that's not enough time, but it's not that they're on a good, a, a good track anyway. Right. I think the thing about Cole Komet and probably the reason that he went first overall, he's just huge. He's like a, just a big offensive lineman that it, you know, even if he doesn't see a ton of targets can still help his NFL team. He just won't be all that fantasy relevant. I I just wonder if he's a hit. And and I think it's easy to to think of some of these hits we've had in tight end land where they finish at tight end nine or tight end 11, or even tight end seven, if you're not in that top group and we know what that looks like, maybe it's three guys, sometimes it's five guys, but if you are below that threshold, you're just, you know, tight end six to 20, it it doesn't really matter. So Komet hitting and being a tight end one for a year or two at some point later in his rookie contract is when I would project him to do that starting this year, maybe next year. If he hits at tight end 10 once or twice, I that really doesn't matter. And, and I kind of see that's the path for him. So to me, if so, and, and I do think the market is kind of on to him. Like I haven't seen many people value him. Like there's big upside here. He could join that top group. Like I would put better odds of Evan Ingram joining the top group or some of these guys, you know, David Njoku and, you know, guys that I think have real difference making seam stretching potential to put that magic together for a season than, than Cole Komet. So uh, again, he didn't go first round. He's not a big athletic profile. And uh, again, even his, his ADP in that rookie draft was not, uh, you know, even close to the top 10 or 15 to say he's on some sort of track and people are expecting him. He, he has had some moments, but I just think it's, it's a lot of tepid, lukewarm water. Yeah. So onto the quarterbacks, which was uh, pretty exciting. There were some guys that were highly touted as Debbie players. Joe Burrow ended up going first overall to Cincinnati. He wasn't necessarily first off the board in super flex drafts though, because Tua Tunga Vailoa fifth overall to Miami in the first round of the NFL draft. A lot of people had him rated higher than Joe Burrow because of his ability to scramble. Joe is also a scrambling quarterback more deceptively. So, but 
Uh, Joe looked more like the one hit one year wonder and Tua had been at Bama for a couple seasons and, and looked the part. So it was probably a 50, 50 split on which guy went in super flex drafts in rookie drafts at either the 101, 102, 103 in that range. Then we had Justin Herbert sixth overall to the chargers and closing out the first round green Bay uh, moved up to get Jordan love that escalated him in rookie drafts way higher than it should have. Then the only other really fantasy relevant was round two, Jalen Hurts to Philadelphia. Then it dropped way off. The next quarterback off the board was 122 overall, Jacob Eason. The rest of the guys are nothing more than role players. But let's just focus. I know it's still early in their careers, but Joe Burrow does look the part. Tua, eh. There's question marks on whether or not he has much rain in Miami. They were looking at potentially dating uh, Watson. So, you know, there've been a few other names being thrown around. Maybe Tom Brady was tied to Miami. Who knows what happened with that situation? So Tua might be on a prove it. This may be the one year that it's make or break for him. Justin Herbert has looked fantastic and has been the best and the best as far as uh, fantasy points. He's been in the top five more frequently than any of the other rookies. And that's, you know, he was probably late first in that range, way underrated compared to the other guys, but he's at 11 top five finishes in just the short time he's been in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is right behind him, but with five, and Joe Burrow in the top five, three times, Tua, two times. Yeah, I, I think the a couple lessons that I think of here. And the first one is the Justin Herbert kind of rule um, or threshold in the sense that you get three quarterbacks here that go high. 101 obviously is better than 102 and you know extending as the first round goes. But Herbert was the latest. And you could actually make the argument that who has the rarest profile? Well, Justin Herbert was 6'6", 230 plus pounds, mobile, and had a big arm. And it's not that he faded to you know, 65 overall or something. So he went highly. And there was a lot of scrutiny about him, about the, you know, he's not a leader and all this kind of stuff. But when you just look at his profile, it's that of a cyborg. He checked all the boxes. Again, mobile at 6'6", and had his weight is unbelievably rare. And especially getting top five, top ten, uh, top ten pedigree. So that's the thing. He was going later than Tua. You could, you didn't have to kind of squeeze yourself in those first four or five running backs. You could take one of those. Justin Herbert typically going after those in uh, in Superflex. So you, you just had to mix in with the wide receivers in that zone. So that's the thing I would point out. Burrow Tua typically cost more, and and so if you have. It's kind of the Josh Allen rule as well. So Josh Allen, again, a cyborg, actually didn't have the passing profile that Herbert did coming out. So Herbert, again, I think there's really good lessons here of saying big, mobile, checked a lot of the passing boxes, and how about we don't... like? And you're saying, oh, and he's way cheaper than Burrow and Tua. That is probably something that, hey, in the future, and, and this class doesn't particularly qualify in that capacity because Malik Willis is the only... I would say he's the maybe the most cyborg-like if you were to pick somebody in terms of some mobility and rushing upside there, but he's probably a, mo- a little more like Jalen Hurts. And I think the other lesson here is Jalen Hurts because going into a backup role, but he's still got good enough pedigree in the second round. And he's been exactly what we thought out of college, which is he's going to run around a lot. That's fantasy relevant. We know that. And he's done exactly that. Questionable as a passer. We don't know how long the leash is, but still a guy that if you look back, he was going what second round, Katie? Yeah, in, in he was super, still comfortably, was right? Still. Later second round, I remember you could still get Jalen Hurts. And regardless if you thought he was going to be some five-year starter in the NFL, he was going to be a fantasy factor any game he started. So that mobility is a, a trump card. That mobility is a Konami code. And, and so Jalen Hurts. When you, when you say Jordan Love and all these other quarterbacks going higher, that is really something to keep in mind because the price point and the price point with, again, Herbert and the Hertz are both key here because we may get this year's class in Superflex flex pushed up without all the running backs and people going to squint and be like, oh, well, I have to take uh, you know these 
these guys that go 30, 40, 50 overall by the NFL, if that's what occurs, I mean, I think the over-under might be two and a half for first round quarterbacks this year. That is a little different than here being four and then Hertz getting left by the wayside in a strong running back class. So that's the, the question I have for 2022 when we push that forward. Oh, absolutely. And the neat thing too about this particular class, we went to the Senior Bowl. We got to see Justin Herbert. We got to see Jordan Love. We got to see Jalen Hurts. And I remember Justin Herbert was a standout. We didn't get to see them com- compared to Joe Burrow and Tua Tungavailoa, but those guys were always going to be the more expensive guys in Superflex. And the biggest takeaway here is you can take a running back, a guy like Jonathan Taylor at the 101 over a Joe Burrow, over a Tua Tungavailoa, because there is such a big learning curve for a quarterback in the NFL. And typically, if you're first overall, you're going to a bad team and it's going to take some time. So I have no problem with taking another position, especially running back with a stud like Jonathan Taylor at the top of the draft over and then getting a bargain on a Justin Herbert or a Jalen Hurts later on in the early second or mid second. It's riskier. And that's right? how it's you- riskier quarterback. So why how about you take it so that you go into a riskier portion of the draft, right? I mean, 101, 102, let's not be super risky. How about we be risky in the you know round two, round three, maybe even the late first, you know, if, if really right. we think the upside's there. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a big point is know your risk tolerance with those profiles, but also just the position itself. Well, there are some fantasy analysts that say no matter what, you got to take a quarterback in Superflex. I don't agree with that. And I don't believe that you agree with that either. It depends year to year what other positions have strength. And we'll be doing a mock draft of the 22 class after we get done next week with the 21 class. So we'll have those discussions with especially this quarterback class that we got coming up is one of the weakest ones I've seen in a long time. I think it reminds me so much of the 2013 class as far as the quarterbacks go. So there's going to be many people that will take a quarterback because other analysts say, no matter what, you got to take a quarterback with the rookie one-on-one. I don't agree with that. Yeah. And that's what makes this, this draft class fascinating up coming up and, and Malik Willis and none of these quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen plenty of NFL mock drafts, but over there at grinding the mocks right now, Malik Willis at 12 Pickett at, at 17, there is not, I mean, we just talked about a class that had three in the top six. That's not coming. That's not happening. I mean, right. there's probably at most there's one probably in the top 10. So that is not the same at all. The NFL is literally pounding you over the head saying, don't do this. Don't do this. I, I do think Malik Willis is going to be an interesting case here of how high does he go? And it, it's pretty overt. We mentioned it with Jalen Hurts uh, within this class that pretty overt with the rushing upside he has, even if he's figuring things out from a passing perspective. So that is one of the unique profiles of this coming up class, like you said, but we still have 2021 as well. Any other uh, finer points of just the class at large that, uh, that to remember going forward of lessons learned? No, just, just the overall that if, if you have a super flex league that you're in, don't be blinded by the fact if you've got a very, very strong running back class, again, it's okay to take another position. You don't have to be taking a quarterback and they don't, don't always push, escalate. Don't push, don't push positions. Right. I mean, and, and yeah. risky ones. I mean like, Oh, I need wide receiver. I got to push it. You know, I need a quarterback. You should try to build your team. So you don't feel trapped into, and you shouldn't anyway, but feeling trapped into the need versus best player or best profile, regardless of, Hey, I got, I got five great running backs. Well, you know, a sixth would look pretty good too, you know, and I need quarterback. Well, if you whiff on it, you still didn't address anything. Right. And I've been participating in uh, a lot of mock drafts, mock rookie drafts, usually around four rounds. So it's it's going to be interesting to see the pre-NFL, how a rookie draft looks now compared to a month from now or, uh, you know, after the NFL draft, how how much landing spot really changes people's rankings and how they feel about players. For me, it's not so much the landing spot as the draft capital. 
Do they have first round? Do they have second round? Where are they? That to me is more important than, okay, your situation is closed. I find those guys more of a value and I'll take that all day. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Two last points for me, I'll make them quick, is if we do get late first, early second round, quarterbacks. And you know, if those are some combination of Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, those types of options, they check those running boxes. And that's going to be interesting to see, do they fade? Do we get some values potentially Jalen Hurts style into this uh, second round of a, of a deep, but maybe not one that has super studs uh, going very deep into the first round, like we saw in 2020. And then uh, the other point I would make is wide receiver. This is, we have some similarities here. This is a competitive crop at the top. And so later first rounds, as opposed to maybe the first two or three off the board, where are the quarterbacks? Who is going, even if they're going as the wide receiver two of that, of that uh, new passing game, are they ones like CD lamb and otherwise, are they attached to a good stable quarterback situation? So that's the thing I'm monitoring where we might get five or six first rounders but sometimes those last two or three are in much better situations, especially stability at quarterback than the first one or two, because none of them right now projected to go in the top five or six. So those are the the two positions. I do think we can draw some similarities back to 2020 that we discussed in this episode. So we had been tied down for two years because of COVID, but now I'm back on the road traveling. The next eight weeks are going to be hectic, hectic, crazy. But I do want to give a shout out to two of my foundation students. Brendan and Blake are both sports, fantasy football. And I just wanted to give a shout out to them because they've been fun to talk to. And hopefully they'll get into some dynasty football and start listening to Under the Helmet on a regular basis. Want to remind about uh, Katie Flower between episodes. You want to find her about um, all the things she's discovering in her rookie mock drafts and basically just dynasty diva knowledge here, knowledge dropping. So you can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skylar 399. I'm going to be in the data cave uh, pretty much until next week's episode. Uh, I've mentioned it once or twice before, but the UTH NFL draft guide is coming out in the next uh, week. And uh, again, everything you need, data, metrics, historically speaking, uh, like uh, some of the things you've heard in this class, you're going to get um, everything uh, broken down by position. Uh, you get a pre-draft, you get a post-draft version. And one of the calling cards is a full comparable prospect matrix. So if you want to know the best case, worst case, middle ground for all of these prospects, that is broken down um, on a highly analytical level. So it's, it's not me pulling punches and picking all the, the popular players. And, you know, this guy's a mix of Sequan Barkley and, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson and all of that, the, the David Montgomery uh, syndrome that, that we see where everyone's going to be great. And everyone's going to be good. Well, who's going to be the, who's going to be compared to a, a round seven guy from five years ago. I'm your guy. <laughs> you know, if they truly are peers, that's what you're going to hear from me. So you can, you can get that on an a la carte purchase. You can find that on my, on my Twitter at Chad Parsons NFL. You can also find it on the UTH dynasty homepage. And, uh, as Katie has said before, I mean, those premium podcasts, I mean, if you like audio content for, uh, for dynasty, you're going to get so many shows that are five, 10 minutes. I also expansive shows. You get things like mock drafts, And uh, again, around draft time, April, May, uh, especially rookie draft strategy, you want to be on board uh, and have it in your earbuds so that you're not going to miss a moment and be prepared as ever for your rookie drafts. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, keep building those things.